0: chapter ten of prophets priests and kings by alfred george gardiner this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten lord northcliffe i was talking one day in the garden of a friend of mine on the subject of stevenson when he brought forth a file of young folks for eighteen eighty one containing the sea cook and another for eighteen eighty four in which appeared the black arrow turning the yellow pages he casually pointed to an article one of a series on amateur photography there said he are the modest beginnings of greatness to-day the writer of that humble article is master of the times a member of the house of lords owner of half the papers you see in the hands of the people the napoleon of the press whether you like it or not the most influential man in this country for the name under the article was alfred c harmsworth how has it been done he asked what manner of man is this lord northcliffe i have i said the privilege of not knowing lord northcliffe i am that miracle in these days a journalist who has never been through his mill never written a line for him nor met him nor except when he has been in the peers gallery of the house of commons even seen him i am therefore well qualified to answer your question for i can view him without any personal emotion which i believe is a rare thing in a journalist lord northcliffe is the type of the man in the street there is no psychological mystery to be unraveled here no intellectual shadowland he is obvious and elementary a man who understands material success and nothing else he has no other standard by which to judge life napoleon's question was what have you done lord northcliffe's question would be what have you got for he not only wants success himself he admires it in others it is the passport to his esteem it is the thing he understands if you will watch his career you will see that as far as he has a philosophy at all it is this that merit rides in a motor car you become interesting to him as johnson became interesting to chesterfield immediately you have succeeded when he went down to the memorable meeting at glasgow at which mr chamberlain formally opened his fiscal campaign he changed his policy in a night his papers had been full of denunciations of what he had christened the stomach tax but this meeting so great and so enthusiastic seemed the presage of success He was going to be left in company with that dismal thing failure the thing was unthinkable and he leapt the fence on the instant for he believes with mr bigelow that a merciful providence fashioned us hollow in order that we might our principles swallow the one principle to which his loyalty never falters is to be on the side of the big battalions this habit of swift decision dictated without regard to principle is the key to his success he carries no intellectual or moral impedimenta has no sentiment is subject to no theory holds no view of life he simply asks what will win and then to quote mr bigelow again goes into it bald-headed he is in a word the stock exchange man in the sphere of journalism he represents the conquest of fleet street by capel court go on the stock exchange and you will find it crowded with lord norcliffe's men of that rapid decisive type who bull and bear with happy indifference to intrinsic merit and to whom the issues of peace and war are of importance only as they affect the price of stock and shares when lord northcliffe set out to feed the war flame in south africa he did so i think without any real feeling against the boers he is not i fancy a man who bears malice for to bear malice involves attachment to some point of view indicates some reality of character had the boers won he would probably have written them a letter of congratulation but the mood of the country was high and turbulent we were full of such boastings as the gentiles use and lesser breeds without the law and his conception of journalism is to give the public the meat it craves for if it wants a war then it is his duty to paint the enemy black and horrific if it wants a sensation then it is his task to provide it does the temper of the moment demand the immolation of france then he is the fiercest of francophobes if the french cannot cease their insults he says in eighteen ninety nine their colonies will be taken from them and given to germany and italy the french have succeeded in thoroughly convincing john bull that they are his inveterate enemies england has long hesitated between france and germany but she has always respected the german character whereas she has gradually come to feel a contempt for france nothing like an entente cordiale can subsist between england and her nearest neighbour does the mood change and germany become the object of national suspicion then who so ready to throw faggots on the flame yes we detest the germans and we detest them cordially he says in nineteen o three they render themselves odious to the whole of europe i would not tolerate that any one should print in my journal the least thing which might to-day wound france but on the other hand i would not like any to insert anything that could please germany he blots out the foolish word consistency from his bright lexicon and repudiates his yesterdays with fearless indifference to criticism he knows that the mob has no memory and only asks for its daily sensation with its daily bread and so in the midst of the great german panic his newspapers made our flesh creep with their revelations of germany's designs and mr robert blatchford was engaged to reduce us to the last pit of fear then the mood of the public being exhausted he turned and slew the monster of his own invention he went to berlin and from thence sent to his paper a sublime reproof of our silly behaviour and told us that all germany was laughing at our panic-stricken folly such agility leaves one breathless he in fact regards himself simply as the purveyor of a popular commodity if the public taste changes then he is the man who changes with it for he is wedded to no old clothes he is truly considered a humble-minded person his opinions are of so little consequence that he is always prepared to adopt those of other people provided that they represent the majority in 1904 when the progressives looked like winning he supported them in nineteen o seven when they were certain to lose he filled his papers with fantastic stories of their misdeeds it is not that he disagreed with them for disagreement implies convictions of some sort it was simply that he was with the crowd he backs an opinion as he would back a horse because he believes it will win he reminds me of that story of lord chancellor thurlow and the nonconformist deputation that went to him to protest against some unjust advantage he had given to the established church why asked the deputation do you always show this partiality for the established church i show partiality for the established church said thurlow because it is established get your blank sect established and then i'll show partiality to you it is this absolutely commercial conception of journalism which is lord northcliffe's contribution to his time journalism was a profession he has made it a trade it had a moral function in his hands it has no more moral significance than the manufacture of soap the old notion in regard to a newspaper was that it was a responsible adviser of the public its first duty was to provide the news uncoloured by any motive private or public its second to present a certain view of public policy which it believed to be for the good of the state and the community it was sober responsible and a little dull it treated life as if it was a serious matter it had an antiquated respect for truth it believed in the moral governance of things lord northcliffe has changed all this he started free from all convictions he saw an immense unexploited field the old journalism appealed only to the minds of the responsible public he would appeal to the emotions of the irresponsible the old journalism gave news he would give sensation the old journalism gave reasoned opinion he would give unreasoning passion when captain flanagan from the calm retreat of the debtors prison was drawing up the prospectus of the pall gazette he said proudly that it would be written by gentlemen for gentlemen lord northcliffe conceived a journal which in lord salisbury's phrase was written by office boys for office boys it was a bitter saying but lord northcliffe has had his revenge he lord salisbury's office boy of journalism was raised to the peerage by lord salisbury's nephew it was not the only case in which time passed an ironic comment on lord salisbury's views on the press when gladstone repealed the stamp duty and made the penny paper possible lord robert cecil asked scornfully what good thing could come out of a penny paper a cheap press like an enlarged franchise meant to his gloomy and fatalistic mind red ruin and the breaking up of laws and he lived to see himself swept in power by the democracy which he had feared and deriving his support from the halfpenny press at which he would have shuddered he lived in fact to realize that there is a better way with the office boy than to drive him into revolutionary movements it is to give him a vote and the daily mail i have said that lord northcliffe is the man in the street that is that his mind is always in tune with the mood of the populace you see it in this article in young folks amateur photography had just become popular he a lad of eighteen seized on it as a stepping-stone to fortune a little later came the boom in cycling and master harmsworth still in his teens became a cycling journalist in coventry sir george newness had touched the great heart of humanity with tit-bits and mr harmsworth now a man of twenty-one felt that here was a field for his genius also he too would tell men that the streets of london put end to end would stretch across the atlantic and that there were more acres in yorkshire than letters in the bible why should he conceal these truths why should the public thirst for knowledge be denied and so in an upper room in the neighbourhood of the strand answers came to birth the prolific parent of some hundred or perhaps two hundred i am not sure which offspring ranging from the funny wonder to the daily mail all bearing the impress of the common mind in an uncommon degree the freedom from ideas the love of the irrelevant and the trivial the admiration for the flagrant and the loud the divorce from all the sobrieties and sanities of life the fate of the times was long in doubt and the secret of its new control was carefully concealed but one day it appeared with several columns describing the dress at some society function lady midas's wonderful creation from worth's and the duchess of blankshire's rapturous pearls and i knew the touch of the master hand the marvellous office-boy had no more worlds left to conquer perhaps the crucial moment of his life was that day in the early nineties when a young man who had been a reporter on the birmingham daily mail and afterwards on the sun called on him with a scheme the evening news was for sale and the enterprising young man had got the refusal of it and gave mr harmsworth twelve hours to decide whether he would buy it his own reward being the editorship and a share in the business so far mr harmsworth had only adorned the sphere of tit-bit journalism he seized this opportunity to serve his country in a larger sphere and out of that day's work came the daily mail with which the ideals of american journalism were brought into our midst and all the multitude of daily papers with which he has endowed us he is you see a man of bold and swift decisions when he found the women did not want a women's daily paper he changed it in a night into a halfpenny picture paper and instantly he found his way to the feminine heart he is doubtful whether women want votes but he discovered that they do want pictures stuck in anyhow with hardly any words at all he has adroitness too when the daily telegraph started a sunday issue he followed suit instantly there was a great outcry in the country against the sunday newspaper to that outcry lord burnham and lord northcliffe bowed with grave professions of respect for religious opinion subsequently lord northcliffe purchased two sunday papers already existing and nothing was said though we may assume that lord burnham thought a good deal there were few earlier birds about than lord northcliffe he touches nothing that he does not uh, shall we say adorn the note of his mind is over all he does i was looking the other day at one of his multitudinous publications a children's cyclopedia. it contained a picture of the solar system the sun blazing in the center and the planets careering around it and each planet was depicted by a motor car he can make even the splendors of the midnight sky speak in the terms of the momentary and sordid earth no doubt the men sitting in those motor cars were reading the daily mail i am told that in his office he has a favourite phrase about the shop window what is wrong with the shop window to-day he will say as he points to the offending issue it is an eloquent phrase he is the shop-window journalist the sign over the journalist's office in the old days was marchand d'idée now it is the latest novelties and the editor is the chief shop-walker is your mood for conquest then here is the material to feed your hate or your fear of the foreigner is health the craze of the moment then standard bread becomes a gospel more urgent than the decalogue are you tired of panics and in need of nature's balm then the shop window is aflame with sweet peas and we are all turned out into our gardens to engage in a feverish competition for the finest blooms and the biggest prizes he is all that is summed up in that desolating word smart he is a smart man the representative man of a smart age it is an age which if it has ever heard of lord courtenay regards him only as a dull old gentleman who bores you with talk about principles it delights in the man who will advertise himself in twelve-foot letters it worships success however it is achieved you may be exposed as often as you like all will be forgiven if only you will be smart you may espouse one cause to-day and another to-morrow one cause here and another there it does not matter so long as you do it with effrontery and success and its patriotism is that strange inverted thing which makes little englander a phrase of withering reproach as though to love england were impious it is not that it believes the wrong things it is that it has ceased to believe anything its drama is the music hall its moral teacher mr hall kane its instructor the inspired office boy as i came along in the tube to see you i took notice of the papers in the people's hands the fat gentleman on one side of me was reading the globe the slim lady on the other the daily mirror the smart office boy in front the daily mail the meek person next the sunday companion the lad in the corner comic cuts there were evening news and red magazines, Puck and the World. The papers were different, but the accents were one. Where Lord Northcliffe was not, there was Mr. C. Arthur Pearson, his pale shadow. The revolution is complete the old journalism is dead the voice of answers speaks in the thunders of the times and lord northcliffe bestrides the world like a colossus the type of power without the sense of responsibility of material success without moral direction you have spoken truly said the other though i think watts has put the thing more tersely in his picture of mammon but you paint the time too gloomily It is a time of change and disturbance and fickleness and strange forms come to the surface but out of the welter the new england is emerging with a new social gospel and a new vision lord northcliffe with his shop window novelties is but a transition phase he is only the echo of the passing mood and the shallow craze the great movement is coming from below and is independent of all the inanities of the press be of good cheer, we are a people yet. And now to resume: when I met Stevenson at end of chapter ten.